Good afternoon. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. This is a once a month program at four o'clock. Usually we're live, uh, but uh, due to the circumstances, we're doing a Zooming. And uh, I have kind of gotten a knack of it. Nice thing is I can see my guest. I hope in the near future, we'll be get, getting back live in the studio. But until then, we'll continue to do this pre-recorded Zoom. Uh, obviously, you're just going to hear the audio, so please don't don't call into the uh, studio because we're not there. I also like to plug my Sunday morning 7:30 pet sounds. I've been doing that for about 12 years. 7:30 in the morning with your coffee or tea, two or three minute uh, little essay on all different types of things. So please tune in to that show. Today, it's uh, always a pleasure to have my friend. It's the second time he's been on here. I threatened him that he'd, he'd have to be on again, and I, I follow through with my threat. Uh, Dr. Mark Hanks from Orrington. He's a veterinarian and owner of Kindred Spirits Veterinary Hospital or clinic. Clinic. clinic veterinary clinic in Orrington. He was my, my neighbor, my professional neighbor for years, and I couldn't have asked for a better neighbor as a veterinarian. He runs a top-notch clinic and very respectful of his colleagues. Uh, it's just he's a it's just one of the, the best veterinarians that I know. So welcome, Mark. Thank you, John. I have to say we miss you in the community. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Really, you you've been a you know you've been a fixture in the Bucksport, Orrington, the whole area for a long time. It's been a few years now but we really miss you in the community. But I did hear that you're a grandfather. Yes, thank you. Aha! Uh yeah, my daughter, Janie, just had a little baby girl, uh, July 1st. Congratulations. Thank you. We haven't seen her yet. Yeah, uh, the COVID thing, that's gotta be a bummer. Yeah, but FaceTime is great. Yeah. Right. She's just a lovely little girl. Her, na her name is Dovey. Dovey? Uh, Dovey, D-O-V-E-Y. Whoa. Don't know why. Maybe because her dad used to be a hippie back in the 60s. So <laughs> don't know what influence I had. No, I'm no, not really sure about that. But she's, she's adorable. It's, uh, uh, thank you very much. My daughter is uh, 29 now, and I'm trying not to give her any pressure. Good. But I will say that I did give her a book, Good Night Moon, because that was her favorite book as a child. Yeah. And wrote in the thing, hey, so no pressure, but... <laughs> So which two she responded, dad. <laughs> That's appropriate. Yeah, That's yeah. Appropriate. I, I thought so. I shut up. <laughs> yeah, just shut up. Just yeah, up. I should just shut up. Keep giving her books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. next year it'll be uh, Dr. Seuss. So yeah, whatever. That's right. All right. <laughs> well, I brought uh, Dr. Hanks on uh, to the pet uh, Let's Talk Animals because he runs a small animal practice and COVID has disrupted lots of businesses, including veterinary hospitals. And I thought our listeners should get a better idea or, or kind of an insight as to what Dr. Hanks, or I will say Mark from now on, what Mark has to do to help take care of your pets. Because there's a lot of stuff that's behind the scenes. There's a lot of stuff that you may have seen yourself when you go to your veterinarian, a lot of changes. And I think it'd be uh, insightful to kind of get a better understanding of what's going on. First of all, uh, vet clinics are called essential businesses. And what's the advantage of being an essential business? 
Well, I'm not sure it was an advantage early on. I mean, I think that one of the one of the things as we were trying, I, I guess the hardest part at the beginning was there was so much mixed information. So, you know, as veterinarians, I mean, we deal with infectious diseases all the time. And so from the beginning, we took that part seriously. I mean, we've dealt with in our careers, parvovirus and respiratory viruses in cats that we see, they don't, you know, the virus doesn't care who it infects. It really, it doesn't care about politics. It doesn't care about uh, anything other than a living being. Uh, so we took it seriously from the beginning. But but with COVID, there was so much mixed information, wrong information, developing information at the beginning that being an essential business, we were literally meeting every day at the end of the day to assess what new information we had and whether that should change the way we see patients. Did it also guard you against uh, forced closing? Yes, yeah, we didn't have to close. And I mean, I, you know, I guess I feel, I felt spiritually that it was an awesome thing that pet care would be considered an essential business, um, you know, right from the start, that people's pets were so important in their lives. Um, and, you know, some people, especially when they closed down shop and people couldn't get around as much, some people's only relationship was with their pet. Um, so we had to figure out quickly how to do that safely. And almost immediately we went to curbside service. So as it became obvious that we, we weren't sure whether the virus could be easily spread on fur, um, whether animals could carry it or get it. And so we immediately kept the people to the outside and brought the animals in. And in the first few weeks, we actually disinfected the animals. So we found out that you can kill the virus with alcohol um, or hydrogen peroxide. And so we had toyed around with the idea of bathing them when they came in, but we decided that that wouldn't work. So we sprayed them down and uh, we took leashes. We didn't take anybody's leashes. We took our own leashes out and kept six feet away from the people. At the time, masks weren't widely used. And uh, so it was a challenge. I got to say it was a challenge. We can kind of go over some of these. You mentioned some of them already, this, the, the staff-client interaction. Uh, one of the things is the limit of 10 people or less in uh, waiting rooms. And I know you remodeled your clinics all big and fancy. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a really big waiting area. That's true. <clears throat> so, um, But some clinics are not, and there's this, this less than 10. How did you deal with how do you deal with that? No one in the waiting room or no one in the waiting room. So after the initial, I mean, once, you know, it was a process of a few weeks that it went from, uh, well, we should probably be shutting down to, oh, my God, that's it. So as soon as we did, we we continued, we stopped having people in the waiting area. Now, we do have a big waiting area, but we do have small exam rooms. Um, so we have, you know, the client and and veterinarian are are necessarily close sometimes. So we decided that we could treat the animals and talk to the humans um, via phone for the first month. The other thing that we did, just from your uh, from employee management standpoint, was that we split down into two groups because the very first uh, part of this, there was no testing available, or at least there wasn't easy testing available. So if one of us got sick, the biggest danger was, you know, that we'd have to shut down the whole clinic. Um, and I, that, uh, we talked together as a group and I said, initially the moral absolute is we stay alive during this whole thing, because if an animal gets sick and we're not here, they die because of that. So we split into two groups. We took two veterinarians. We have three veterinarians all together, two veterinarians in one group, one veterinarian in another. 
and split the staff in two, and we and we worked on alternate weeks. Did you have uh, pre-arrival uh, checks, uh, temperature checks, uh, we clinical did, signs? We did not. We discussed every morning. We had one employee during the time that uh, I think in retrospect probably had seasonal allergies, but she had a cough and a temperature of 99.3. And this was in week one of when we divided into two groups. <laughs> oh, jeez. And she was on my team. And <laughs> uh, she called me in the morning and she said, oh, okay, here's the situation. I said, stay home. Don't come in. We don't know enough about this right now. Um, now, since then, the guidelines are temperature is 100.3. So, you know, she wasn't. But I, I still think I'd make the same decision now. Um, so we were just uh, reporting basically any symptoms at all. I did not do temperatures. I did buy one of those cool temperature things that you aim at people that looks like a gun. Uh-huh. Uh, but I got it from Amazon and it, and it uh, checks everybody at 92.1 degrees, no matter who you are. <laughs> so I'm going to guess it has some accuracy problems. And the only other thermometers that we have in the, in the, uh, practice our rectal thermometers. Just the old-fashioned rectal. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, well, as a veterinary well. clinic, I'm just saying <laughs> it was most unpopular with the staff. <laughs> they nixed that idea. <laughs> okay, okay. But if, um, with your with the temperature gun, well, of course, I got to tease you, being a, a clinic owner, we're always buying new little gadgets. So That's, that is true. Yeah. I'm not surprised that you bought that. Yeah, I did. I did. And I thought it was going to be great. I, I was going to hit everybody with a gun as soon as they came in the door. But <laughs> uh, in a practical si situation, it didn't really work out. So, you know, I think we all, I mean, as a society, we all had to decide where we were going to fall in this. And some people could isolate, but we were in, as an essential business, we knew we couldn't isolate, certainly from each other. Um, but so for a while, we wore masks internally. Um, you know, we disinfected the animals and I mean, all things happened with time and as testing developed. And so now the state of affairs is if somebody gets sick at work, then we all get tested and we can find out in a day or two in Maine anyway, um, whether anybody else is positive and then we move on like as if it were the flu and it's not the flu. I guess I got to clarify that, but right, right. Don't say that. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I don't want to fuel anybody on that one, but, but I think that, uh, I think that we, our understanding of the virus has developed. So inside the hospital, these things that client, clients may not see or only see a snapshot, is you're following, are you, as of today, wearing masks, washing your hands, wash, you know, cleaning the, the facility and, um, and social distancing. How does that, how do you do social distancing? Is, is the staff right. that low? Right. That has been that has been a recurrent issue. So what we decided to do is if we're, you know, we, we can we put our station six feet apart now. So we used to have stations that were relatively close together, computer stations. And then we have one person that stays at that station. So we're not cross contaminating. Um, by nature of our business, we have to get within six feet, six feet of each other. So, we, you know, they're holding animals for us and taking x-rays and things like that. So during that, if we're going to be any prolonged contact, we put on masks. So we're wearing masks uh, on us at all times, but all over our mouth if we're going to be in that sustained distance. Do you have a plastic guard too or just a mask? We do have some of those. Um, and some employees prefer those to the masks. Uh, most people like the masks. Uh, you know, it, it takes a little while getting used to, obviously, but it really isn't that bad. We use the surgical masks, so they have pretty good uh, airflow. 
And you'd be used to it because of your surgeries anyway. Yeah, right, absolutely. No big deal. So no clients come into the building. Right, so now, we're speaking now on July 16th, and now we're allowing clients in the building. So when the, um, some of the restrictions were lifted in Maine, we had the discussion in our group. So, so we split into two groups, and then in the beginning of June, we recombined those groups again because we decided my wife is an epidemiologist, uh, and we talked to her about it, and she said, I think it's safe to put the groups together because you can now, there's enough contact tracing that we can, right. you know, uh, the whole group doesn't have to go down. So we put the groups back together again, but we did not allow clients in at first. And I'll be honest with you, I think we could have done that except that the general population's understanding of what's safe is so different. So I have one client that comes in that's in a spacesuit, and I have one client that comes in that thinks it's all baloney, and obviously those two can't get together, um, and the one who thinks it's baloney may be a potential threat to the staff. So honestly, we decided to continue to do curbside. So what we're doing now is a hybrid. Um, of the two. So we allow people to come in because honestly, you'll, you'll certainly understand this. It is hard to do our job on the phone uh, because regularly we have to tell people either subtle information like that we have to explain a lot of stuff, show them things, or we have to give them bad information. And for me as a veterinarian, it was not acceptable to be doing that on the phone all day long. Right. right. And you never know until you see the patient whether that's going to be true or not. So now we're allowing people in, uh, but we're giving the option because there are some people who are still uncomfortable with going in. Yeah, yeah. Business, um, and I'm going to say it's about fifty-fifty, maybe sixty-forty in favor of people wanting to come in. So then, when they come in the building, we have a technician escort them from the front door through the waiting area into an exam room. We do the exam and discussion and all that stuff. Then we escort them back out and uh, somebody else comes in from the back and does a disinfection. Um, and then we're ready for another person in that room. Uh, do you disinfect the air too? Do you have to spray the air? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we have a, um, we have a you know, spray, like a microemulsion spray, and we're, they go in and do the hell out of that. And if any client has any kind of signs of sneezing, coughing, they don't come in. Yes, and that's the other thing. If they're coming in, there's two requirements. Um, if, if they want to come in the building, we're fine with that. But they have to answer two questions about uh, their own potential exposure to COVID. And uh, also, they have to wear a mask. That's, there's no exceptions? No exceptions. Okay. And we haven't had, we actually, per, we actually uh, anticipated that that might be a problem, um, that we would have to police that because some people are very, very adamant about not wearing a mask. For a variety of reasons and to this point we have not had to do that at all people have voluntarily come that's in that's encouraging now you talk about the phone do you do pre-visit triages on the phone so by the time the person comes you've done more than you usually so yeah in the old days mrs smith would call up and say my my fluffy who's a pomeranian is coughing right and then you say well you know maybe we should see it and then you but this time how would that how right. does that change now good question good question we have the technician call in advance, usually when the client's still home, to ask a series of questions around it. Um, so, you know, have they been boarding or grooming in that situation? Um, do they have a heart murmur? Um, is, you know, is it a dry cough or a productive cough? And so the technician does that all beforehand. So we have a lot more information 
than we used to. And I have to say, I think we're going to keep that. I find it, yeah, I find it very useful. And actually the techs like it too, rather than going cold into that room every time, that they're actually getting the information beforehand and they're prepared for that case. And they've often talked to us about it before. So we can say, eh, I think I'm going to need x-rays on that. Yeah, you're already starting to think. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I actually like that. Um, so we, we've actually stumbled on a couple things like that that have been, I think, improvements. One of them, another one is telemedicine. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, telemedicine. So we did that out of, you know, at first we, we couldn't have people in, and some people were very, very concerned about going out in public. And so we, we offered telemedicine, and we had some trouble finding a platform for it. We had, there was a veterinary platform that was made for telemedicine, and it really didn't work particularly well. And, and, and the primary thing was you had to sign up for it, be okayed by the front desk, and pay in advance. And so I said, geez, I just don't feel good about that. Yeah, that's kind of stupid. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so we have Zoom, so I did Zoom. And, and they showed me their cats or dogs online. I'll tell you, behavior, it was fantastic for. I bet. Because it's really, that's a discussion, and you don't necessarily need to be examining the animal. And you can't uh, see the behavior in the clinic. Exactly. And they'll, and they'll, much, they'll do much better at home. Oh, so actually, I had a cat that was very aggressive, and the client called me, and and uh, she attacked the dog. The cat attacked the lady's toes while we were talking. Oh. I, so, I, so, so the owner I, said, "Yeah, for real." So the owner's asking you, "So why?" And you're going, "I don't know." I don't know. <laughs> your toes look like little mice. That's right. Just stop painting your toes like little. Yeah, mice. stop painting. Yeah, yeah. You shouldn't put the whiskers on your toes. <laughs> This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals, Aardvarks and Zebras, WERU in Orland, Maine. We're uh, taping right now, so you can't call in. And I'm talking to Dr. Mark Hanks, a good friend of mine from uh, Kindred Spirits Veterinary Clinic in Orrington. And we're just talking about what's going on in the clinic. Get some insights. That, uh, you're waiting out in the car in the, drive, you know, in the parking lot, and Mark and all the staff are doing all sorts of stuff. And one of the other things I wanted to talk about is you said you use your own leashes when you go out to get an animal. Are you still going outside to get animals or is everyone coming in now? Yeah, it, I would say, like I said, it's probably 50-50. When we go outside, um, now we're, we're allowing people to have their own leashes or collars because it doesn't look like COVID transmission, you know, is, is so much on fomites as we thought. Right. Um, so, so we're taking in leashes. And, and the other thing is the transfer of using the loopy leash on a dog, especially if they have like a harness on and the owner's concerned about the dog being a flight risk, that the, uh, the harness is better to, to stay on <laughs> than for us to take it off. So we've largely adjusted that. Um, and we ask people, you know, to not bring them in if they're sick, if the humans are sick. Um, another thing that we didn't know early on was we weren't sure about the infection rate in animals. So, you know, you'll remember when it came in national news that a dog got it and a cat got it and in yeah. Belgium, a cat got it. In Belgium and showing yeah. up respiratory signs. Yeah. 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 And I mean, and it looks like that kind of settled out to, well, I mean, I guess they can get it if they have prolonged contact with a human, but they're certainly not the primary reservoirs. Well, the other thing is that the test, test the fragments of the virus. Right. And, and they're in pot, they're a COVID positive home. So they could just have fragments. Pieces of virus that can't really reproduce in them. 
Right. So right. I think as time has gone on, we've become less uh, worried about that. Well, because of the pressure a couple months ago, IDEX came out with a COVID-19 test specifically for dogs and cats. And it was it's very sensitive. They've, uh, they, with the test, they give criteria to the veterinarians and it's very strict criteria. And why they did that is that I think it prevented clients from just walking and saying, I want my dog tested. You know, my, I'm coughing, I want my dog tested, which is a waste of time. Right. So uh, being up here in Maine, boy, we're fortunate right now. Right. Uh, so your answer to this is going to be different than someone from Arizona. Right. Uh, but ha, do you have the test on hand? Do you use it? Do you need it? What, what's here? Yeah, it's a send out test for them. They do ask us to answer quite a few questions associated with it. And I've not personally used it. To my knowledge, we haven't treated a pet from a COVID positive household. However, we know that's not, I mean, there is HIPAA on the human side to make sure that human um, health conditions aren't necessarily broadcast all over the place. So that may be happening. We're assuming that that's happening without us knowing it, that people aren't coming in going, I've been coughing for three weeks, I'm positive for COVID, and here's my dog. Um, that hasn't happened with us, and we haven't, uh, so we haven't had to do any of the tests. Now, I will say, um, in some of our patients, so there's a respiratory disease panel that is done through IDEX. So we send in, uh, the, the long story short is there's a PCR test now that tests for, for viral DNA fragments, which you know, but the people um, listening may not. And they check for 10 different respiratory viruses and bacteria. Uh, it's called upper respiratory disease uh, panel. And they went back with all those samples, 5,000 samples they chose and tested for COVID in all of those. Um, and that was at the beginning of this whole thing to see, is this something that's been happening and we haven't even known it? Right. Good, good idea. They found no positives in those 5,000. So that made us, that was one of the key bits of information that made us feel like, okay, well, in the day-to-day -day of this, I don't think animals are getting, are, are, are part of the equation as much as we may have thought right at the beginning. And because you don't have a lot of COVID, any positive households, the counseling is limited. I mean, if, if there's a positive, one of the things I was reading and I advise on my pet sounds is if you're a positive household, um, you recommend not to be hugging your dog a lot and, right. and, and the relatives not hug their dog in that That's household right. just because it's, there's a possibility. Now, the other thing is the virus seems to not, seems to be sticky. So yeah. on the fur, it doesn't come off very easily. On a doorknob, it comes off easier so again another reason why pets are probably okay right right and that but that was developing information that we didn't know at first and so <clears throat> we were trying to be working through an abundance of caution i will say the avma website um, has been a recurring source and mvma as well which is the american veterinary medical association and maine veterinary medical association have both done an excellent job of giving information as it comes out and their recommendations based on it and it's changing too. Yeah, yeah, and changing. It wasn't. It wasn't in. You know, we check that weekly. Yeah. So another thing I wanted to um, talk about some other little things is payment, contactless payment. Do you have that? Yes. So we've been doing largely credit cards. I, um, so and we've been doing it over the phone or when people come in. 
Um, we put up uh, guards on the front desk, uh, plexiglass guards, so that they can, you know, stand at the front desk and write a check or whatever. At the beginning, we didn't accept cash at all because we weren't, again, we weren't sure about the potential for cash to be a transfer agent. And so we just billed people and said, okay, if they brought cash and they don't have another way to do it, we'll send you a bill. Um, most people didn't yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, I'll tell you the thing that changed our minds on that is that, you know, the uh, toll booths in Maine never closed. And I heard Dr. Shaw talking about uh, the potential for, because I thought at first, oh my God, that must be COVID central. <laughs> and I heard Dr. Shaw saying, no, we don't think it's really a big way to transfer COVID. I mean, it's possible, but, you know, that's not the way that when we do contact tracing, that's not the way that we're finding that it's transmitted. It's from person to person. So your most vulnerable spot day to day is you talking with a client in your little exam room. Yes. That, that's probably your most uh, highest risk, right? Yes. Uh, and we're both wearing masks. Um, and, but we are oftentimes within six feet of each other, yeah. you know, that dogs scurry away and go under the tape, you know, <laughs> the chair of the client and sometimes I'm scurrying on my belly to get them. And so, yeah, yeah, that is definitely our vulnerable spot. How about the little chihuahua that's nestled? That, a large yeah, woman. Will not, yes, exactly. I mean, no was, was... <laughs> yeah, I'm getting in their face. I mean, there's just no way around that. So, so the mask thing, you know, does help in that way. And I wash and oh, you, they can't see this at home, but these are my hands with little crusty. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is like little fissures. Con yeah, constantly. Um, and I and I have to say that's another thing I I think I will take away from this. You know, nobody's gotten a cold. Yeah. In our place, nobody's gotten the flu. Nobody's gotten anything. And something. What do you know, hand washing's a really good idea. <laughs> it's not. It was a new. Not. It was not that it was a new discovery. Yeah, no. no. <laughs> we kind of knew it. Yeah, we kind of knew it. Now, we talk about payment. Um, the, there's been some real problems with, with uh, clients uh, economically. There, a lot of clients are out of jobs. And um, have you had to change your your ways or is your clinic so small you know everyone and it's not really an issue? Yeah, so I'd say two, two things on that. One is that our clinic is small and if we have to have people pay later, it's a, you know, it's, it's most people I've known for a really long time and we just make it happen. Um, so our accounts receivable has gone up significantly. So our amount of uh, money owed to us has gone up. Um, but the other piece was that we I sent out an email regularly and, and uh, I, it's to our clients and there's about 3000 or so clients that get it. And I had sent out a thing that basically said, Hey, there's some people that are hurting um, locally, like within our practice. And I'd like to, we have an angel fund. Um, so it's basically a fund for animals that have good, you know, good prognosis that everything needs to can be done and can fix the animal, but the people just are strapped financially. And from that email, we got basically $2,800 worth of donations wow. to the annual fund. So we were able to help people out, you know, just from a financial standpoint to say, hey, you know, it's a tough spot right now. We have $300 we can put it from the angel fund and make take the, the pressure off of you, basically. Um, so we, we solved that by a short-term plan, but it worked. So what's the status now? 
We just had another. Well, no, I will say that the day-to-day people that are hurting financially seems to be better. I think that a lot of people are back to work that weren't. Um, so I haven't been faced with as many situations as I was, like, let's say, two months ago, where stimulus money hadn't come in yet and people were abruptly you know, let go and they weren't sure about unemployment. All those pipelines have been filled, and so people are keeping afloat better. Um, so I haven't had as much, although we just had a thousand dollar donation to the angel fund, um, from a previous client that doesn't have pets anymore. Um, and so I think that, you know, the, the generosity of people in general has been one of the inspiring pieces of this. And especially the smaller you define the community, it's very hard to see that on a national level, but on a local level that is, makes all the difference in the world. And as a, tri- as a tribute to you too, Mark, uh, the way you run your practice, uh, oh. the trust and the quality and, and your compassion and empathy, it's all there. And that's why people are willing to make that $1,000 donation, even though they don't have a pet. Well, well th- thank you. But I feel like it's a community. I, you know, my goal with the Kindred Spirits thing was to find a, a group of people that love their animals more than anything else and and that they felt weird about that because in the society at large you get some weird looks sometimes when you're extremely attached to your animal but that it would be safe for us and so i think they feel empathy towards the people in the group you know they're like oh they feel like me about my animals are you um opening up uh your elective surgeries? Did you limit it at first? And yes. I mean, how did you, and at first you were like, really, what, what did you do at first? And then how have you expanded? When we split up into two groups, we went down to emergencies only and we had a clean doctor and a dirty doctor. So the, I told you we split into two groups. Well, the doctor that wasn't on that week would be doing phone calls and telemedicine to try to triage whether an animal needed to come in or not. And then the then the veterinarian that was in the clinic would just be seeing people all day long. They wouldn't have to do any phone calls and try to figure out if they could treat it at home. Um, so we did that for two months. Oh, that's pretty smart. That's good. That's a good Yeah, system. it worked out really well because there were a lot of things that we could say, why don't we try this first? I'll have you pick up some medication. We set up a medication bin out front of the, in front of the clinic so it was basically a table that had three bins on it and people could come by and grab and go medications that they could pick up. And then if that didn't work, we'd get them in for diagnostics and things like that. So that did work well. And then we ended that at the beginning of June and we have been playing catch up ever since. Um, just because we stopped sending out reminders for routine stuff, but you may have seen that there was a 70% increase in parvo um, associated with the epidemic, not so much locally, but nationally. And uh, so I'm very worried about some of the routine diseases that we've been vaccinating against. We're, you know, not, we're not able to catch up on them. So we had two secret Saturday uh, vaccine clinics. So <laughs> don't tell anybody, John. Okay. But okay. We, uh, just we, between you and me. Just between me and you. I don't okay. want anyone to know this. But we <laughs> called a bunch of people and said, okay, meet us on Saturday at 11 o'clock and we'll vaccinate your animal. And uh, so that caused behind, behind the Dunkin' Donuts. Behind the Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were there with our needles. And uh, yeah, no, it was uh, is that we caught up on quite a bit. So we're almost, we're still scheduling at about three or four weeks right now. That's not bad. Yeah, which isn't horrible. Um, so we're slowly catching up. And how about the, uh, the staff has been healthy 
uh, you've been able to, their, their paychecks have not been disrupted. So you're, you're doing pretty good there. With the no, staff. no, no, uh, no one got sick so far and I'm knocking on wood um, in our group. And we, uh, we, the way we divided it up, uh, we were not, we did not have to take EPP money. Um, and we were able to continue to pay the staff. Uh, some of the staff on their off weeks would help with the phone calls. Um, and we had one staff member that would come in every weekend uh, and she would uh, disinfect the entire place. So we had two teams and we decided that between the two teams we should disinfect. And so we got a pump sprayer with, with dilute Clorox and we, she went through the whole place. So we cobbled through a way to make it like I think a lot of Mainers did. Did you, uh, how do you do your, now that you've opened up, uh, do you still do outside uh, pickup delivery for food and medicines? Just, yes, we just left to, Just that. to minimize. So that, yes. Okay, explain that. We kept that, we kept that in place, which I do think, um, we have like a little vestibule so people can just step in and grab something and go. And so we kept that on good days, we'll put it outside and on, on rainy days, we put it in the vestibule. So I think that, Actually, that, that decreases quite a bit of foot traffic into the building. So you just have the people, the clients that come in are the, really the, the sick animals, basically. Uh, well, I, I still have people that are coming in for their routine care, like they're coming in for their annual vaccinations and stuff, but they have some concerns and they feel much more comfortable just talking to the vet face-to-face -face and, and we're trying to accommodate that no matter what. It's, it's a little bit easier for us if the people are in... Uh, are doing curbside because we go out and we just deal with the animal. And then what I've been doing is then walking the animal out and talking to the client in the car. That's so, sense. yeah. So I still get the face to face and yet we don't have to clean and disinfect a room. Um, so, so, but like I said, a lot of people are, I, and I think this is true in general. A lot of people are hungry for human interaction after this. Makes sense. They're stuck in their home with their yeah spouse. yeah I, <laughs> yeah. I know. One of the things I found immediately was on the weeks that I was the clean doctor. So I was the one that was home making phone calls to try to see. You know, my average phone call is probably five ten minutes with a client usually. My phone calls were like twenty, thirty, forty minutes, um, which doesn't work long term. But uh, you know, people were just like, "Oh my God, it's a human. I want to talk to him." Especially about my, especially about, about my, my pet. pet. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm worried, and I'm watching them all the time. <laughs> the, number, the number of inappropriate urination <laughs> I got from cats, especially. I will tell you, America, cats are not so happy that you're home all the time. <laughs> I don't think. They're getting caught. They're, <laughs> yeah, they're being, getting they're they got they're their... Busted. They got the secret place that they've had for years. Right, right. And, all, and you all found this... it because you're home and you cleaned it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and he's pissed at me. My owner's pissed Literally. at me. <laughs> Literally. Are you finding more people uh, buying, purchasing over-the-counter stuff online or through you? Uh, well, I'm going to say more online. I'm going to say more online. I don't discourage it uh, because sometimes they can find things cheaper um, and the systems now are better than they used to be. So for instance, Chewy.com um, uh, sends us a, uh, you know, prescription form, basically to fax it and we just sign it and fax it back. And, you know, so I don't know, I feel like um, it's probably, 
I don't know. There's a lot of people. Every year we struggle with keeping enough uh, stuff on in stock for heartworm and flea and tick because people get it all in the spring. So I think there's, you know, t- people are like very programmed to do it a certain way. They either want to get it at the vet or they want to get it online. And I appreciate obviously the ones that get it at the vet, but understand the ones that get it online. Oh, so oh, when I, it probably still happens that the drug rep comes in and wants you to spend uh, $30,000 on uh, heartworm medicine in December. Right. If I don't have to spend $30,000 on heartworm medication, I'm cool with that. (laughs) No, because really having it in stock, you'll appreciate, I mean, I'm sure you felt the same way. Having it in stock, then you've got another thing you've got to manage. Right. Right. If you, if you order too much and you don't manage it well, it's basically a money losing uh, opportunity. (laughs) Well, it's a money on on the shelf. It doesn't do you any good. It's not, not earning interest. It's not getting any profit. Right. So in the big picture, if people went to that, so we, we have a bit of a hybrid right now, but, but it's good that we may only order 10,000 instead of $30,000 worth now. So I lose less. So, oh, that's, oh, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> they just side note, they just came out with an all in one Simperica trio, um, which is a heartworm, flea, tick, intestinal worm, all in one. Which intestinal worms rounds. Uh, it is milbamycin, uh, that the, is the, uh, product in it so it's uh everything but whips those whips those whips i tell you that that's that's the killer yeah so that's a new that's a new product that is a new product and i and it's been a i'm not saying a game changer but it's been a convenience to many people it's a little less expensive than the two products we were using HeartGuard and simperico or something like it um the whole orals uh in flea and tick control has been i think a a a good thing in veterinary medicine. So they're much more convenient people, you know, that were putting the drops on before it, you know, I hated it for one. We had four dogs at one point and I was putting the drops on the dogs every day. And we'd have, we have of course light for light color furniture. So we're being the police for a day. So they don't rub all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a, a big problem with the product absorbing wicking through the fur and people didn't pull the fur out and, or it's a big reaction. And it's a big grease spot for, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, they'd come in, they'd come in and look at this big grease spot down the yeah. back and say, what's Did that? Fly flea and tick product. Uh, no, last week. No, no. <laughs> so, the, so the pills are good. Um, they are. So you, you like them. They're effective. They're killing the ticks. Yep. Yep. There's been a lot of concern online about them causing seizures and, you probably I, were they coming out when you had kind of stepped away from practice, or uh, as night as uh, 2014. Um, no, the orals are just starting. Just starting. Just starting. So there's probably a half dozen of them now, and wow. um, bottom line is they went from testing to you know extremely popular. So it's kind of like remember Rimadil 20 years ago that they went through the testing, they identified some of the problems, but it wasn't until a couple of years in market that they realized that there were some other problems that maybe were one in 5,000 or one in 10,000 that they hadn't detected. So similarly with this one, um, there are some seizures that do occur in some dogs, but it is extremely low percentage. Obviously, if you're one of those one in 5,000, then it's unacceptable. And right. so people post that online and it looks like it's killing millions of dogs and it's not. So does still does people still use the uh, topical? Yes, definitely. The topical is less expensive um, now. There's generic versions of it, ah. and, and so they're still very popular. And they still repel too. So uh, that yeah. mosquitoes huge problem in Maine, and the drop 
balm products still help. And, and the collar is the new Seresto collar, which is like an eight-month collar. Um, that's convenience and relatively inexpensive. So it, there's a lot of choices now for fleas and ticks. And you still have flea allergic dermatitis? Uh, not as bad. Oh, really? That's really gotten? Not as bad. I have to say that, you know, that used to be, my God, August. Yeah, that was like one. Off. That was here. Yeah. I'm going to say I might have seen three cases last year. That's it? Yeah. No wow. kidding. Wow. So that is a real change. That is nice. Yeah, because there's so many choices. And, you know, the you can do the drops, you can do the collar, you can do uh, the pills. So are your tick-borne diseases down too? Yes. Our, our rate of Lyme, so Lyme, three, year, three and a half years ago, we did a, we do uh, numbers every year. So out of 1,000, let's say, tests, what percentage of them are, are Lyme disease? And it was 24% three and a half years ago. And last year, it was 14%. Wow. The drugs that we tested were Lyme positive. And so, so that actually went down. Now, in the same time frame, I w I, we all kind of were more um, suggesting of the Lyme vaccine, which I was hot and cold about before because it wasn't that effective, you know, 10 years ago. Um, and the newer one is more like 92% effective. So I was more comfortable saying, well, it's probably a good idea. So between Lyme vaccination and tick control, we've actually knocked down Lyme. How about anaplasma and ehrlichia, which are other two other yeah. tick diseases? Yeah, good call on that. Anaplasma has actually gone up, despite in that. In spite of the tick. So, yeah. do you think the lower tick, uh, lower Lyme infection, has to do with the vaccine? Then, maybe. I think that uh, certainly ticks aren't getting any less common um, in the environment. <laughs> uh, I think anaplasma is just more common in the tick, though. Okay. You know, that's, I mean, we've been watching that come for 10 years now. Remember back in the day, maybe once every three months, you'd get an anaplasma positive. I probably get one or two a week now. Yeah, it's just starting to come around about four years, just before I retire. Yeah. You start yeah. to see co-infections. Yes. A lot of co-infections. And that's a common thing now, really common. In fact, I just had one the other day. It was an interesting case. It came in, it had a low platelet count. It had all the stuff associated with the anaplasma but the 4DX test was negative. So I sent out a tick panel, which is, you know, the bigger panel, but it's also a PCR test. And it came back anaplasma positive. So I called them and they said, well, since the PCR test, it picks it up as soon as it's in the system. And the IDEX test is an antibody test. So there's a lag time of a, sometimes a few weeks. So this dog had just been infected and I almost missed it because, and it was sick. I, you know, it was very sick. Just to let the, uh, tell it, our listeners what PCR means and what you're testing. Yeah, so PCR, that's just the whole uh, COVID thing too. PCR is polymerase chain reaction, and it basically tests for DNA fragments. So it doesn't tell you whether there's a live virus or um, uh, in, you know, an active infection. It just tells you that there's viral particles in there. So it's very sensitive. but Very, very sensitive. How about um, influenza? Influenza is part of our screening on the respiratory panel, and I still haven't seen any. The canine influenza? The canine influenza. Good. Um, so I, well, I have not seen it locally. We vaccinate a little bit for it, mostly in dogs that are show dogs that do a lot of travel. Uh, not only sh traveling and or show dogs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. 
I think, again, it's a big problem in Florida. It's a big problem in the South. Chicago, too, I think, isn't it? I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I haven't seen it as a big issue locally. That's good. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about it? Because it is a pretty serious disease. Yeah, canine influenza is another one of the respiratory diseases, and, and it is highly contagious, especially in groups of, of dogs. And there's a vaccine for it. Um, and again, it's kind of like the human influenza vaccine in that it still has you know, breaks in it. They can still get it. But the difference between canine influenza and like kennel cough, initially it looks very much the same, but influenza can kill them. Pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. We're talking with Dr. Mark Hanks of the Kindred Spirits Veterinary Clinic in Orrington. Uh, we were talking about the... Um, how his clinic has changed since COVID, and now we're starting kind of morphing into new new stuff medicine. I think uh, new medical ideas and tests and diseases. I think listeners should be uh, uh, informed. Uh, it's, it's hard to get informed, although there's a lot of information out there. It's not always information that would be accurate. And I just got to emphasize: if you really need accurate. Uh, information and advice, call your veterinarian. Your veterinarian is the go-to person, not Dr. Google, any of that. The book I wrote, um, most, a lot of my uh, articles at the end said, talk to your veterinarian. It says, so that's the biggest message I can give you right now. It's just, if you have a problem, call the vet and they can steer you right. Side note on that, you know, I, I just thinking about the Dr. Google thing, Obviously, that's that's a huge change in medicine in the last five to ten years. Everyone looks up their their dogs and cats' symptoms online and come in with a diagnosis in their head. Um, and although we we complained about that, especially initially, now I've used it as an opportunity. Uh, number one, to ask the people what they think it is because they've already done a lot of thinking about it. That's not unusual. But secondly, I always write down the diagnosis now and hand it to the client at the end of the exam. Your diagnosis? Uh, my diagnosis. Okay. Because if they Google red eye in their dog, they're going to find cancer and all kinds of bad things. Yeah, yeah. If they Google you know, allergic conjunctivitis in their dog, then they get all kinds of useful information. So just narrowing it down to an actual diagnosis is because, because what I find is most people Google symptoms and then they find a diagnosis in there, then they focus on that diagnosis. Right. But it may not be right. That's that's our job to try to find that. And I mean, as you know, that's that's the big challenge sometimes. But oftentimes now I know, okay, this is what it is, and now I can give them useful information and Google the hell out of it. And then on the back side of that, I write my email so I can talk them down from the ledge when they <laughs> bad stuff. <laughs> How often do you have to do that? <laughs> uh, not unusually. Uh, yeah. So uh, anaplasma, for instance, most dogs that we treat for anaplasma, we're finding it on the positive tests that we do in-house, but they're not really showing any symptoms. Right. As you know, anaplasma can be devastating. So just like COVID, some animals get exposed to it. They seem to shake it off and not really have too much of a problem. Let me say like COVID in humans, so they don't think COVID in animals. Right. Um, and, and some dogs are devastated by it. And so I can say, okay, anaplasma, your dog has it. We're going to treat it before it's a problem. Don't worry about the stuff that you read that's horrible. Uh, but they still go home. And still read it. 
<laughs> As I would. I no judgment there. I would totally do the same thing. <laughs> so when they come in with, uh, when the client comes in and you almost certainly they have a diagnosis. And this is even before computers, by the way. There's yeah. some yeah. clients that, that you know, that they, you know, they, they knew it all. And you know, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The Uncle Joe. And Your dog had exactly the same problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was vomiting also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so when they tell you, you ask them and they say, well, it's um, glaucoma, you know, the red eye. Right. Glaucoma. And you're looking at it and it's clearly, do you, how do you, how do you, you're such a respectful doctor and I would never ever think that you would say anything that would um, be discredited to the client. So, yeah, how, sorry, I, well, I so how, how are you politically correct? Right. Do you, yeah, I don't want to be sarcastic. You work around I mean, it. Yeah. You know, it, and I mean, you know, just from doing it for a long time, you know, you, you have your own kind of emotion around that. But for me, it's an opportunity to show them what glaucoma is. And I, I have a machine that checks the eye pressure. So I tell them beforehand, if this pressure is above 20, we're in, you know, then there could be glaucoma. If it's above 40, we're in trouble. And then I go beep, 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 and it says 12. And I say, S oh, aren't we all happy? <laughs> right? It feels Very good. good. It feels great because I, I, I didn't have much of a worry about it, but they had a huge worry about it. Plus, they were reading about glaucoma for three days, um, which is a devastating disease. But you know, that again, that's the emotion of Dr. Google is that you go into one place and you find yourself somewhere totally different within a half an hour to an hour. And emotionally, you've just found the problem and you're going, oh my God, what am I going to do? Should I remove his eye? I don't know if I should remove his eye. There's a lot of discussion about that. So they come in with that to me and I'm like, whoa, 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 it's just red. <laughs> Let's figure out if it has, if there's glaucoma first, right? So, so yeah. It's it's a different it's a different um, approach. It's definitely changed my approach as a veterinarian. I, I totally believe that. Guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah, that, that would change. That would change. But you seem to have morphed very nicely into that. Yeah, and then I think it's, you know, because I've just side note, I've totally done it with my kids' health and my own health. Um, I once gave myself lymphosarcoma. Um, oh. I had a I had a swollen lymph node and uh, my mother had uh, cancer when she was in her thirties and I was in my thirties and I'm at a McDonald's playland. My kids are jumping around in the balls back when you could do that. Um, and uh, my lymph node was, yeah. in I was like, Oh my God, I have lymphosarcoma. So I went home and I looked it up and you know, I looked up a young, a young patient with lymphosarcoma and next thing you know, and I went to the doctor and I'll never forget. This is where, this is where I find compassion for the client. I went in and said, okay, I'm pretty sure I have lymphosarcoma. I know what that means because I'm a veterinarian. I've treated patients with it. And I'm not sure what kind of chemotherapy I would have. And he said, okay, well, let's see if it's lymphosarcoma first. And I thought, oh, well, that's, you know, I'll, I'll humor him. Um, and then, you know, it wasn't. It went away in three days. I had a sore throat. I had <laughs> or something. So, and it, so each time I go through this, I think back to my own emotions when I went, you know, when I did that and I was like, sure that I had it. And I had fell into the same trap that I, I see people do all the time. Well, it's, it's a lot easier on everybody to, with that approach rather than fighting this thing and, and quote unquote, proverbially yelling at the client. Are you right. kidding? It's not this, you know, blah, blah. Right. so it doesn't make anyone happy. 
Right. So it's it's really that's very interesting. You use um, there's another a, a very popular product, the marijuana, this uh, CBD, CBD oil, CBD oil. Uh, you can go into a nature a natural store and, and get it and do whatever supposed claims it does. Uh, that's a problem. I, uh, I don't know if I told you, but I think CBD oil is the new coconut oil. Um, Ten years ago, every animal that I saw had coconut oil rubbed on it somewhere. And uh, because it had a lot of claims, you know, it was relatively new. There was some benefit in it. And so people used it as a panacea. And I think that the same thing is happening with CBD oil. Everyone asks me about it all the time. And, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are uh, trying to profit on the CBD craze right now. Yeah. So it's poorly regulated area. Um, the percentage of, you know, THC is not a good thing for, for animals, especially dogs. And so it has to be THC free. And the quality of the, of the CBD is all over the place. Um, it's hard to find. And, and the other thing is it's being used to treat everything, like everything. And I'll say that, I mean, I think that the peer-reviewed studies are still pending, but it looks like it might be beneficial for arthritis. So the old creaky dogs and cats. Um, and it probably is helpful for anxiety. And it, so far, that's all I got. That's the only two things I've seen. Yeah. Now, are they saying that uh, a, a small amount of THC, TCH, TCH? THC. THC. I keep, yeah. I'm, I'm retired. I can't. <laughs> I don't have to remember all that stuff. I, you don't remember because are you doing the TH? <laughs> just, no, just asking. I, I'm taking the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> By um, talking yeah. to you for an hour. A small, a small amount of THC, I think, is not particularly bad. Is it supposed to enhance the hemp part of that? Yeah. So I, apparently they're synergistic. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is the psychoactive part of THC is much more potent, maybe just because they can't understand it. I don't know. But I see that very excitatory animals on THC, like what, we've seen a lot of uh, uh, marijuana toxicity since it's become legal. And it's very common that they are freaking out. Do you, do you dispense it? Uh, yes, we do. It's not THC, but CBD oil. Um, my associate, uh, Dr. Barry, has taken a personal interest. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't sound good. <laughs> no. You better rephrase that. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> he's done quite a bit of research on CBD oil in animals. Um, and, uh, and he has found a couple of products that he was very comfortable with. So we, we stock one of them. And is it usually arthritis and anxiety? He's Yeah, pretty that's much. pretty much it. Okay, so again, talk to your veterinarian before you use it because you can get it anywhere yeah and every veterinarian on the planet now is is uh schooled in it we've gotten a lot you know we've had to look a lot yeah right good good unbelievable it's almost time wow. to say goodbye it's been almost an hour you you suffered through another hour with me i i just want it on the record john i always enjoy these the, good i miss i miss you as a colleague i miss um, you yeah the, the veterinarian that uh, took over your practice is doing a great job as well. Um, but, you know, you were, you were a fixture here. And, and so I look forward to getting together with you this way and also perhaps over some cocktails. Yes. So you just committed to a third time on my show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and it's I mean, on, 
I mean, it's on it's on, it's on tape, so you can't. Yeah. <laughs> Stay safe. Uh, this will um, this was a really good good talk. I hope people can now appreciate all what you're doing to help their pets, and that's that's really important. So I'd like to sign off. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Aardvarks to Zebras. And remember, enjoy your pet and don't forget to give them a hug. <laughs>